Welcome. So today, uh, Pastor Matt and myself, we decided that we wanted to do this sermon together, that we wanted to join together and share it because uh, uh, several, actually it's almost about a year ago, we decided we wanted to do something like that and then it's been a while since. And so uh, I, I hope that this allows you to uh, engage with the content using kind of our different personalities and the different content that we're going to share. Today we are starting a brand new series called The Good Work. Now there are many things that we need to remind ourselves of. Truth that we need to speak when we're looking into the mirror in the morning or when we look out into our world. And one of these truths is that you were created to do a good work. It is our prayer that we will be stirred by the Spirit of God to believe what He believes about who we are, that we would find ourselves motivated and filled with the ability to follow through and do good works. Now, here's another truth. Now, if you're one of the select few, if you are the best of the best, the brightest in your class, the star athlete, the leader of all, God can still use even you. See, he usually uses ordinary people, everyday people. But I promise he can use you too. Uh, it's just that our God specializes in using the very ordinary, everyday people. And this message series is for those of you who believe deep down that you are created for something more, that you are born for a purpose, created by God to do something eternal, something that out lasts you, something that matters. So over the next four weeks, um, if you're open to what the Spirit of God is going to say to you, I believe that he will speak very directly to even some of us, that he's going to lead some of you into a call or into a path, into a good work that he has been growing and creating inside of you. Um, a desire, I believe, that God is going to help some of us step out of the fog, the, the fog that's been over us for the eight months that's been here, and begin a new work. But I want to warn you, when God uses you, it always comes with a personal cost. When you take a step of faith, when you do something significant, it's very likely that you'll pay a price greater than you can imagine. So I must warn you again, it'll, you'll very likely experience pain, agony, rejection, heartache, uh, failure every now and then. A sense of loneliness and doubt will creep in. Uh, bits of rejection and, and uh, discouragement. This comes with the challenge of saying yes to the good work that God has for us. And there will be times when you stand alone um, people might laugh at you, might misunderstand you, make fun of you, but when your sacrifice impacts another life and the glory of God uh, is a part of what you're doing, there is nothing better, there is nothing better than that price to be paid for that kind of moment. And because of your faithfulness, God will be honored and people will be different. Things will happen. You may look like an ordinary, everyday person, you may not feel exceptionally gifted or talented, but you are the exact type of person that our God loves to use. We're going to study a person from the Old Testament over the next four weeks. We're going to trace the call, the mission, and the work of an ordinary man named Nehemiah who had a broken heart for the plight of his people. Um, he looked on, on their situation 
And he knew that he could not sit by and do nothing. That somebody had to do something. And it might as well be me, is what he decided. And so, in verse 18 of chapter 2, in the book of Nehemiah, Scripture says, So they began the good work. The good work. So, this is what he began, and this is the title of our message series. And if you have faith to believe that God might speak to you and stir you and give you some direction, then I, I encourage you to listen hard and lean in. And this is our prayer. And I just like to pray for our time and for your time as we receive from the Lord today. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would stir us to believe that we could do exceedingly and abundantly more by your power to make a difference in the lives of others. God, give us the courage and the faith to step out. Would you speak to our hearts, God? Stir us, move us, convict us, allow us to see things differently so that we can begin afresh the good work that you have for us. We pray this in the name of the one who is perfect and did a perfect work, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Trent. Did you say that it was a preach-off? All right, okay. Let's work to get an understanding of Nehemiah before we jump into kind of some lessons that Nehemiah has for us. It's always beneficial to, to kind of get an understanding of Nehemiah. The story goes that many Israelites are returning to Jerusalem after the exile, and they face some success and they face some failures. Ezra and Nehemiah were actually written as one book in the original. And so you're going to hear me reference Ezra and Nehemiah, but really it, it's one story. You know, biblical literature, and we know this, doesn't just simply communicate a simple success or a simple failure. It shows us characters that a lot of times are like us. They're flawed. They're ambiguous. They have success and failure. The stories of, of Ezra and Nehemiah tell a, a realistic story of a religious people who are zealous to help others see the world and God in a new way. They're passionate. They have power to, to do new things that they're starting to explore. But it doesn't work. The story of, of Nehemiah actually ends with Nehemiah angry in tears, yelling at the Israelites for violating the covenant commands of the Torah. His experience was to tell the truth about the human condition. The disaster of the exile, the wandering, did not accomplish the transformation of the heart. They, it didn't bring a, a deep level of, of healing and these people quickly are just resorting back to, to the old way. The purpose of Ezra and Nehemiah is in the overarching storyline of the Bible, the, the story shows us that the return of many Israelites to Jerusalem, to home, was only one step toward the fulfillment of the prophetic hope and, and new covenant and ultimately the kingdom of God. The full realization of that hope became a realization when we see Jesus coming 
as a baby in a month, celebrating that, and then his death and resurrection, which we'll celebrate today through communion. It's interesting because there's many books that, that have been written that tell us about the, the value of, of Nehemiah and, and his leadership. And that's true. But we also need to understand that sometimes our leading doesn't always equal success. And this doesn't mean that God is not faithful or God's not good. It means that we're all flawed. And by God's generous gift of his grace, we can actually lead with humility and self-awareness. What I like about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't even a warrior. He was just an ordinary person who heard about something that broke his heart and it crushed him. And he needed to do something about it. Now, yes, he was a cupbearer to the king. And you can say, well, what was a cupbearer? And that's a great question. Maybe think of a servant or a butler in today's economy. So if the king was having a private conversation, like, who do I need to attack? Or, or what do I need to do? Nehemiah actually would have heard it. This guy would have been incredibly trustworthy. He would have had a full life of integrity. And he was loyal to the king. What the cupbearer would do would be the person who would taste the wine before the king would actually drink it. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you. Trenton and I are going to share some, some verses from Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. And in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 2, we kind of understand the story. Haniah... One of my brothers came from Judah with some other men and he questioned them about what was left. So here we have this conversation between Nehemiah and his brother. Tell me about our people. How are our people doing? Tell me about our homeland. How's our homes doing? And all of a sudden, we realize that everything's been burned. The gates to which the city uh, which were protected had been burned. People were without a job. They had lost hope. What are we going to do? Nehemiah asks. We have no homeland. Our life is, is over. That's when Nehemiah's brother says to him in verse 3, they're back, but they're in great trouble and they're in dis disgrace because Jerusalem is broken down. I want you to transition for a second from Nehemiah, and this will help you understand kind of the history with Nehemiah. What kind of person does God use? Have you ever wondered, who is it? As you look at the pages of Scripture, who is it that God actually uses? Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen, those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What if that was true? What if the eyes of God truly move throughout the earth? God's not looking for the talented. He's not looking for the super spiritual. He's not looking for the person who's memorized most verses or even who knows what Greek is. He's looking for the person whose heart is completely his. He'll begin to do something inside of you. He'll begin to plant a seed. 
When you start to go, God, that needs to be solved. That needs to be fixed. God, I need to do something about it. God puts holy holy discontentment in your life. God, I can't sleep. God, I've got to do something about it. The interesting thing with the book of Nehemiah is there's 13 chapters. And as you read these chapters and as Pastor Trent and myself walk you through these chapters, you'll suddenly realize that there's a man who has a ton of holy discontentment. God, I want to be used by you. God, I can't take it any longer. And you know the cool thing is? Nehemiah is just like us. But his heart was completely aligned with God. God looked at Nehemiah and said, that's my kind of guy. I don't want to just support you. I want to strongly support you. In the pages of Scripture, in the pages of history, God uses people just like you and me. Well, there's three groups of people. There's the the first group. They're frothing at the mouth. They're going, put me in, coach. Then most of us are in the second, second group. God, do you really want to use me? I don't know. God, choose somebody else. And then there's the The third group, the arrogant group. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If our our hearts are completely his, God does something unimaginable. He puts the contentment in our, discontentment in our heart, and it rises up and it continues to grow. That's what Nehemiah is all about. It's about a guy who goes, I can't take it any longer. Maybe God can use me. And maybe I'm not the smartest guy, but I'm all in. Maybe there's people who can do it way better than me, but I'm in. You see, the thing with Nehemiah is he said, I'll give God all I've got. I've got this little loaf and I've got this little fish and I'll just bring it. God, I want you to multiply it. God, I want you to to change the trajectory of my people. God, if you use me, then I'm all in. That's who Nehemiah was. And faced with a situation like this, where there's no jobs, the economy system is broken down, there's no leadership, there's no direction, no confidence, With no protection, there's no plan, and therefore there's no hope whatsoever. And in a desperate situation like that, what happens? What do you do when you see something that breaks your heart, and you know that there is a good work that needs to be done, and you think perhaps you're supposed to be a part of that good work? What do you do when you see something like that, that something bothers you deeply, and you can't take it anymore? Well, we want to walk through three things that Nehemiah did. The first thing we see Nehemiah do is what you may end up doing at some point in your life or perhaps something that you do even right now. And it says this back in Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. What did he do? Did he jump to action? No. Did he hide in leisure activities? No. What do you do? The number one thing is sitting down and crying. To sit down and let whatever it is 
the injustice of the world break your heart, slowing down long enough to actually feel what's going on. Sit down to cry. You can see this in verse 4 of Nehemiah 1 when Nehemiah says, When I heard these things, when I heard about the devastation, when I heard about the hopelessness of my people, he says, I sat down and wept. It crushed me. It broke my heart. What's so interesting to me is if you think about the situation of Nehemiah, he is like a thousand miles away from his homeland. And life is pretty good for him. He's got a, a comfortable life in the palace, right? You can picture him. He's one of those guys. He's like eating at the table of the king. He's enjoying the hot tub with the elite. You know, he's sitting down with the 4K TV or whatever, and he's just, he's living a pretty good life. You know, he's, you know, got, you picture, this is, why are we picturing this? But whatever, we're doing it. Picture, you know, he's got his phone out, and he's like taking a selfie in the background of some palace being like, blessed to serve, right? That's, uh, could be, that could be <laughs> Nehemiah. He's living well. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in my comfort, you know, I can be scrolling across some news story or prayer request comes across in front of me, and I just think to myself, oh, that's too bad, uh, sucks to be them, and just keep on going. I mean, it's bad, but it's way over there. What can I do? I don't know. I distance myself, and then I just move on with my time. And so at that moment, uh, Nehemiah had a choice. He could acknowledge the plight of his people, and say, you know, oh, that's bad, and then move on. Or he could acknowledge the pain and let it sink in. It could go past the head knowledge of hearing this news and go into his heart. To the point where it bothered him enough that he had to sit down and take a breath and begin to cry. Um, giving him this divine burden, this ache in his soul where he heard the news and he didn't just see that and just leave it over there, but he actually chose to feel. And I would ask you this, what breaks your heart? What, what is that burden that you have? What is that uh, thing that creates that righteous anger on behalf of God? Or maybe I should ask, what used to break your heart? What is that burden that you used to feel, but the self-pity or the self-focus or the callousness of this life and the comforts of this world have all shadowed it and choked that out? What is it that crushes your spirit when you look at some injustice? Um, perhaps it's a group of people or some needs in the world. Maybe for you, uh, it's the plight of hurting kids. Maybe it's those children who can't read or those who have special needs and need help and love more than others. And maybe it's those who've been bullied or neglected, those who have been abused. Maybe, it's, maybe your heart aches for those who are bound up in addiction. Your heart breaks for those that are hostages to drugs or pornography. They're trapped in their lusts or inside of um, their addictions to gamble, whatever the case might be. Maybe it's just homelessness. And you look around and you see people stuck and un unable to move forward financially. Maybe it's those who have been trafficked and abused their whole lives. Maybe it's those who have been impoverished, 
who need clean drinking water or just a simple mosquito net. Maybe you feel this called to speak on behalf of the unborn or called to defend the rights of others, to speak on behalf of the ostracized or the marginalized, the demonized, someone who needs to stand up for these people and you feel, maybe that's me, but it all feels like a bit too much. All I can do is be stuck in this space. Well, don't run from that space. Don't run away from those feelings. Sit down and cry. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's biblical literacy, God's word that um, needs to get out into all reaches of the world because you know what the transformation is possible, what kind of transformation can happen when God's people are encountered and God's word is known. What is it that breaks your heart? What is that burden in your soul? I remember my grandfather, he was a, he was a pastor, and so it was kind of skipped a generation. My grandpa was a pastor, then my parents and, his, and, his, and my sister's siblings weren't, but then I felt that sense of call. And I remember standing at my grandfather uh, at his funeral, and I did the eulogy. And standing doing the eulogy, um, I read a passage from 2 Timothy, where basically I just could picture my grandfather speaking like Paul, speaking to Timothy about preach the good word preach the good news. And I remember, even as I read those words to my family and to the friends of my grandfather, I just started to break down and cry. I just, I just felt so strongly that that was part of my contribution to the world, was for people to know the story of God and to allow that story to transform their lives so that people could do good work in this world. What breaks your heart? Let it in. Let it crush you. Sit down to cry. Because you need to listen to me on this. I'm not worried about you sitting down and crying and maybe feeling like a bit of a fool, having emotions about things that matter. What I'm more worried about is maybe how long it's been since something has crushed your heart. How long has it been since something has moved you? Lord, would you help us be tender? Would you make our hearts soft enough to actually see and care Lead us to a place where we can sit down and cry. Wow, Trent, great words. I think you won that round of the preach-off. The second thing that you do is you don't just cry, you kneel down to pray. Nehemiah says this in in verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Listen to me, friends. If if it's big enough, if it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. Sometimes we just say the most insulting things to our God, like, I guess all we can do now is pray. It's our last-ditch effort sometimes. Can you imagine God sitting in heaven going, oh, well, man, all you can do is pray, I guess. I mean, it's down to me. God, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God is longing for us to go. All things are possible with, with God. So we need to pray. God plus one is always a majority. 
We go before the God of heaven when we evoke him with the power of prayer. Nehemiah cries out to God in verse 5. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. God, let your ear be attentive. God, let your eyes be open to this prayer. God, your servant is praying before you day and night for all the people. If you watch and if you, if you listen to Nehemiah's prayer and you read on, Nehemiah confesses his own sins. He then confesses his sins of the people. He reminds God of his promises and his faithfulness. After he's mourned and fasted and prays, he decides it's the time to go to the king. I honor you. My heart will always be with you. But king, would you grant me permission to leave where, I'm, where I am? I'm being called to go back to my people. Look at verse 11 in Nehemiah chapter 1. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. You see, if we look at the rest of Nehemiah, we would see a man who's praying and praying and praying and praying. I hope you'll understand that what you pray about really reflects what you believe about God. If your prayers are simply, God, just bless this food. God, keep me safe. God, give me a good day. Then you really don't believe in an all-powerful God. But when you ask God to stretch you, to use you, when you pray for the impossible, that's when God moves. That's when God does miracles. That's when God brings healing. God, spark revival in our land. God, use me to meet someone's needs. That's when you actually declare that you believe in the power and the glory of a good God. What's so interesting about Nehemiah is this is the actual first of 12 prayers that he prays. There's 12 we know about. My guest tells me if we studied Nehemiah, if we were able to talk to Nehemiah, we would understand that there was thousands of prayers. But this is the first of 12. We see it at the beginning of the story. We see it in the middle. And we see that the last thing that Nehemiah does is he's praying before God. What I love about him, and you're going to see this in the upcoming weeks, he gets his leadership acumen simply from prayer. He's practical. He studies he strategizes, he casts vision, he delegates. He really is someone that we could look to for leadership. But in everything that Nehemiah does, he prays. How do you begin the good work when you can't take it anymore? You sit down and you cry. But then at some point, you turn that sitting down to kneeling and you pray. So you cry and then you pray. Whew, I think you got that round. You have heard it said, but I tell you this. Just kidding. That's good words, and it's so important for us to understand that that is the place that we go. 
There's a temptation for us, I think for a lot of us, to come from that place of sitting to a place of standing, right? Does that make sense? Like, okay, I've cried, I feel the frustrations, let's go do something about this. But this is the beautiful moment that Matt mentions. It is at this point where we have to kneel down and pray before standing. Because when you stand, you need to stand not just on your own might because you are up to a kingdom work. You sit down to cry. You kneel down to pray and then you stand up to act. For kingdom work, there is no other pattern. You might be tempted to skip that step and jump straight to action. Um, Do that and you end up being uh, burned up. Um, burnt bridges, you have no lasting power because kingdom work requires deep, sustained connection to the king of kings. Tears, prayers, then action. Nehemiah takes the cup and he goes to visit the king. His heart is heavy and the king can tell. So in chapter 2, it says this, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th Uh, year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not, um, uh, look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Now at this moment, what I really appreciate, it says, I was very much afraid. This is a real, this is a big deal. Up until this point, he's been the happy guy in front of a king. That's basically been his job. A deep risk has just taken place. And so he is terrified. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Here's that moment. What a huge question. And before actually responding, before actually jumping into the problem, we go back to what Matt talked about. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Even in the midst of action, he's in prayer the entire time. I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors were buried, so that I can rebuild it. My people are hurting. The walls are down. The city is exposed. And I can't sit around and just do nothing. Somebody's got to do something about this, and it might as well be me. It might as well be me going and doing this activity. You might find yourself. Maybe you've been in a season where your heart is longing and that there's like, you've been in tears And now you've been praying, and there's this sense of, okay, maybe it's time for me to stand up and start walking by faith. This is a challenge. In the middle of our prayer, in the middle of these desires, God is calling us to come just as you are. In the moment, in that moment, our hearts, we desired for you, Lord, to work in our lives. But you might be thinking to yourself, who am I? I'm not just, I'm, like, I'm not the pastor. I'm not trained. I don't have a lot of experience. But you know what? You need to listen. When you feel something like this, when your heart aches and when you've gone through these stages and God prompts your heart and he stirs in your spirit, 
you need to take a step. You need to trust him. You need to watch him act in your life. Like Nehemiah, an ordinary guy in every other extent was chosen by God to step out into the burden and to start the good work. And now he didn't finish it alone. As we'll see, there's people he gathers. There's leadership that happens. But it starts with him choosing to walk by faith. So what do you do when you can't uh, take it anymore? Do you sit down and stay there? Do you sit down and cry? Then do you kneel? Do you kneel and pray? And then do you stand up and act? Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would help us see the importance of this trajectory. Lord, that when our hearts break, that we would stop long enough to feel, that we would have empathy, that we would go deep, that we would allow ourselves to see the plight of the other. And that in that plight, in that frustration, in that anger, that we wouldn't just stand up and act in our own flesh, but that we would choose to abide with you. Lord, we need deep, close connection when we do kingdom work. We need you every step of the way. But Lord, we do know that there comes that moment when we sense your call to getting up off of our knees and to get going to do the good work. Lord, we don't, always, we don't have it figured out. We don't know what the steps look like. But what we do know is that you are a part of it. And so, Lord, we are trusting you now. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. And, Lord, that you would speak to us from and through communion. That, Lord, as we prepare ourselves even now for communion, that we would see this as maybe a first action, a first step of obedience. That we would remember in communion that the great the greatest work, the greatest good work took place by you, Jesus Christ. Your death and your resurrection, the life that you chose to live in obedience to the Father has made a way for us. Lord, your salvation, your restoration, your redemption of this world is the greatest work of all time. And we would just ask for you to guide us to be able to participate in that in some way. Allow us to be your servants. Allow us that capacity and that mind. And so, Lord, help us as we go through communion. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining with us. I know that I'm leaving encouraged. Remember those, those steps that, that Trent and I shared with you. For some of us, we just need to have our heart broken. For some of us, we need to turn our weeping our concern, into prayer. And for some of us, we now need to, to stand up and do it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. And may the, the God who created this world call you into something where you only need his strength and his power to accomplish what he set out for you to do. We ask all of this in God's most glorious name. Amen.